Welcome to In the Principal's Office. I'm Angie Dillman, a high school principal. And I'm Michelle Liu, an assistant principal. And if you've ever wondered about the conversations that go on behind closed doors of a principal's office, you've come to the right place. So Michelle, today, episode two, we're going to talk about how did we get here? And what I mean by that is, did you ever think you'd be a school administrator? No, never in a gazillion million years. What about you, Angie? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I had to to put it bluntly. No, I did not. And I think actually neither one of us thought we'd be teachers, let alone administrators. Yeah, I didn't want to touch the educational fields with a 10-foot Are you one of those ones? I knew since I was in kindergarten that I wanted to be a teacher. No, that is not me. Um, I had a friend in elementary school and in her basement. I'm from the Midwest, so we played in the basement. And she had a little school set up down there with a chalkboard and desks. (laughs) And she wanted to be a teacher. And guess what? She's a teacher. And so is her older sister and her older sister. And that's amazing because I think people that know and have their calling, I'm envious of them. That was never me. I never knew or I changed every couple years. Actually, my very first occupation was to be a coroner. Oh, (laughs) and and I think only because my mom watched this show. This is going to date me a lot, but she watched this show called Quincy on Mm -hmm. TV and it was about a coroner and I thought it was a really cool show. Nice, nice. (laughs) So I am from rural America and I just didn't know about many jobs. Uh, When I was in high school, my calculus teacher asked if I ever wanted to be an engineer and I said like on a train. (laughs) That makes sense, Angie. Engines on a train. <laughs> like a train engineer. And you know, I didn't know about all the variety of careers out there because I'm from such a small town. But we did have TV there in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> so I always thought I'd be an attorney. It was yeah. also on a lot of TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer, too. That was a couple of iterations later. I was going to be a lawyer or a judge or yeah. something like that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and and I will also, when we talk about our path, one thing I know about both of us is we never seem to take the easy path. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, what are you talking about? It was not a straight shot that's no. simple and not filled with drama and adversity and terrible well, things. Not yet. I mean, we're in our 40s and we haven't quite gotten there yet, but one day. One baby. Although I feel like we're so used to the way things are. If that ever happened, I'd, I'd look around and be very alarmed that things were so easy. I would too. And you know, I would say the biggest reason why I never thought I would be a teacher is because I didn't really like my experience in school. Ooh, wait a minute. Okay, so this is interesting. A principal who didn't like their experience in school. Tell me more about this, Angie. (laughs) What is this about? Well, I had a rough time. I was one of those kids who I would say didn't fit in, not on the outside. played sports. I had friends. I was popular enough. But on the inside, I Mm. am not a rural America, small town person. And that's where I'm from. And I love that part of my life and my history. But I was a different thinker. I had different ideas, different opinions. And I just knew that it wasn't the place Mm. for me to spend my life. Although I value very much having those roots, but it wasn't my future. And I think I just associated so much of my 18 years in Eaton as school. 
And it just was rather miserable for me, to be honest. Wow. So school in terms of the fundamental way of thinking and the values there, you just always felt a little bit stifled, ah, I would say. Stifled. There was definitely a lot of fear of being different. And sometimes that was just different opinions. It wasn't a terrible experience by any stretch. It just wasn't where I wanted to spend my life because I associated it with trying to fit people into a mold in a box that I didn't myself fit into. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because I think that's part of the reason why I never wanted to go in into education as well. My mom is one of those kids that knew since elementary school that she wanted to be a teacher. So she's an she was an elementary school teacher and she was amazing. Such an amazing teacher. My dad, his second career is as a teacher. And it's so funny. There's pictures of me when I'm one years old and I'm standing in my mom's classroom and I'm writing on the chalkboard. Literally grew up in the classroom. When I say that, I mean, because we were there in the summertime, my mom was so dedicated and we were there, you know, very late after school. And because of that, I felt it was stifling. I wanted to run as far away from that kind of profession as I could. And you know, I think another thing is that I associated being a teacher with being ordinary in some mm. way because it was so much of what I was exposed to in Eaton. But obviously, we both changed our minds somewhere down the road. So yeah. when did you change your mind? So here's kind of the backstory for this. When I was in high school, I became pregnant January of my senior year in high school. And, you know, I'm from a Chinese American family. I was in National Honor Society. And if people know what that is, it's for kids that get good grades. The Chinese American culture, there's a lot of high expectations for academics. I decided to have the baby. And I'm very lucky because my parents supported me 100% in still having my own life. And that included going to school. Fast forward to getting my bachelor's degree. And I really had to look hard at what I was going to do, not for myself, but for myself and now this child that I have to take care of. You know, one of the benefits of being a teacher is you get summers off and hours maybe aren't so crazy. I'm going to leave that cliffhanger because yeah. I want to know how did you even start entertaining this idea of becoming an educator? That's a great question. I do not know what my dad was thinking, but my high school graduation present was two tickets to Europe after just graduating at age 18, <laughs> barely 18. Uh, my friend Brent and I backpacked across Europe wow. the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, talk about going from like, you know, like small town to all the capitals of Europe and seeing like this amazing architecture and all kinds of different people. It was truly life changing. Yeah. And after that, you know, I went to college. I finished in my four years and by the end, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a history major and I thought that I wanted to work in a museum, yeah. maybe like archives, records. I envisioned my dream job in a basement by myself, not talking to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I, I'm trying to imagine the you I know with that person and see if that syncs up and I'm like, mm, I don't think that doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> I just thought it'd be like so therapeutic, but meditative. Exactly. So I just thought that sounded really great. But I had done straight through high school, straight to college, graduated in four years, and I needed a break yeah. before grad school because what I thought I wanted to do required a master's degree at least. I love traveling. It still to this day is one of my biggest passions, maybe my biggest passion. I thought, well, 
I don't want to go straight to grad school and I want to travel and I really want to immerse myself in an, in another country. So right. I taught English as a foreign language, but I sent out four resumes. Yes. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that where this yes. comes in? <laughs> and then I got a job in Poland. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right? Oh. So I moved to Poland. Wait, how was the culture shock? Because you've talked so much about your, you know, your experience in small town America. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you traveled, but living in Poland? It was really interesting. It was really cool. And, you know, I definitely learned a lot about myself. The biggest thing that I came out of Poland with is a love of teaching. I was yeah. not expecting that in a million years. It was a placeholder. It was time for me to have a cool, some cool experiences and come back and go to grad school. Right. But by the end of my first 30 days of teaching, I thought, wow, I love this. This is what I want to do forever. Wow. And, I've, okay, so and I've done it forever. Have you ever identified what exactly it was about it that really energized you and made you love it? It was that I really love helping people. And even here when I was the ASB director, the thing I missed the most is like ringing people up at the cash register <laughs> or answering questions, like being able to so tangibly yeah. right in front of you see that you have helped someone and you've imparted something that now they can do something like by themselves that they couldn't do before. Oh, and you're a secret teacher at I heart. Know. It was this feeling of like a high almost, like seeing the changes and the growth. Yeah. It was, it's awesome. Being a teacher is awesome. And since then, I knew that I wanted to do it. So I taught in Poland for a year, then Italy. I moved back to America and then I started dating this guy and he moved to California. And I'm like, well, I'll finish my teaching credential <laughs> out there. And I've been here ever since he left. Yeah. He didn't last. Yeah. But I, you have the longest, the best longest relationship with California, right? I because do. It, it brought you here. And exactly. now that's the real love story, folks. You know <laughs> what? One. I'm almost at the tipping point. Almost in a year or two, I will have lived in California longer than I've lived you know, outside of California. Yeah. So then, you'll, then we can call you a true Californian. I am speaking as a Californian native born and raised. So yeah, I can, I can say these things to her. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll, I'll look forward to that day when you can welcome me in. Like I want a yes. ceremony. Yes. All of it. Like you're official. You're an official Californian. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a history major, so I wanted to teach history. And I was so lucky that I went to UCR, which I think is where you went. I did. I got I my did. teaching credential there and I, I did my student teaching in Corona Norco, oh my which I believe is where you Yes. You, the last place you worked before that you came right. here. And we, you know, we have this weird connection. We didn't work at the same schools and yeah. it's a huge district, but I loved my time yeah. in Corona Norco. I really did. I was there for eight years. I was ready for a change. And I think every once in a while you're ready for a change. Yeah. But how about you? How did you get into teaching? Well, so I graduated and, and I was looking around. And so I started substitute teaching in Corona Norco, the, mm -hmm. the district where you were, because it was close to my house. So it's convenient. This was back in the day when, when you were a sub, they would call you on your telephone, the sub desk would call you at five in the morning and say to you, hey, I have this job. Do you want to accept it? And then they would give you the information. You know, Michelle, I've always wondered. I remember back then. Yes. Did you want the call or not want the call? I always wondered that. The days that I wanted the call, and this is before, I don't even think I was using my cell phone. It was my landline, I remember. I would put the phone right next to me so that if it rang, I picked it up. And then the days that I didn't really want to, I wouldn't sleep anywhere near the phone. So if it did ring and I didn't get it, it was okay. And I remember this one time, phone rang, picked it up, and she said, do you want this job? It's at a preschool. Oh, yeah, that sounds fun. And she says, well, we have the school in our district and it's only for kids with special needs. Yeah, sure. That sounds fine. Well, I just want to let you know, because a lot of times subs, they're uh, surprised about the involvement of these needs. And that is my background. 
now as an educator. But at that time, I had no reference point. And looking back, I actually think it's a good thing. I didn't have any family members that I knew had disabilities or special needs. I didn't have any friends in high school or there was no connection, which I actually think was great because I walked into that situation as a blank slate. So she keeps asking me these questions like, are you sure? And I was the only for a minute I got scared, but I was also what in my early 20s. And so with with that (laughs) many questions of are you sure you have to start to question it. But at the same time, I was also very like, it's fine. So anyway, I go to this school and it's a preschool class for students with special needs. And I remember walking into the room and it was a different world. It just looked different, first of all. And they have equipment and there was nurses and there's a lot of adults in the room. And I remember walking in and I stood by the door feeling like the outsider, just not knowing what to do. And I look across the room and I see this girl, right? She's preschool. She has pigtails and she has this little walker. It's like this miniature walker. And at the bottom of the walker, they had put pink tennis balls so that she could slide across. And she catches my eye from across the room. So she starts walking towards me. And of course, you know, if you can imagine she has a walker because she needs help walking. It's a long process and I'm watching her and she pauses every once in a while, but then she keeps going. And I want to say it probably took her two or three minutes to get across the room. And then she gets to me and she looks up at me with these shiny brown eyes and she reaches out and she touches me and she has this huge smile on her face. That was it. Yeah. I need to know more about this world. What is this world? And so from there, I was a substitute teacher and I subbed in all kinds of special classes. In fact, for that school, I became one of the resident subs. I decided to go back and get my credential in special ed and particularly in moderate severe because I love that. Like, so you had done that substitute teaching experience and then got your teaching credential. That's right. Okay. So we both had a break and found teaching in these just kind of, I don't know, by the way, experiences. Yes. All right. Interesting. That is really interesting because you and I are both passionate about teaching. And I wonder if it's because it found us. It did. Right? It really did. And I think that we both had that moment where we just, we knew. We just knew. And that's kind of what did it for me. And, you know, the principal of that school, full circle, he wrote a letter of recommendation for me to get into the the credentialing program at UCR. And that was it. Not having any experience with the students with special needs has actually freed me from any preconceived notions I've had. I think it served me well. Awesome. Thinking back to our uh, student teaching days, we could do a whole episode on student teaching. And (laughs) man, I think we can do that a lot better. I don't know if we're preparing everyone. I mean, certainly not for this pandemic we're in now, but do you think that you were prepared? Oh, what a good question. Or can you be truly prepared? I don't think I was prepared. And I say that because I always think about my first official year of teaching. What a disservice I did to those kids because I was so terrible. (laughs) How did you feel about your first three or four years? I look back at my first year in particular. I'm like, that's embarrassing. Yes, that's embarrassing. And then the second year was so much better than the first. I felt really proud, but it was probably still embarrassing. (laughs) It takes years. And I think like in any profession, you get better every year. And the more that you reflect and try to grow, the better you'll be. But just when you think you have it down and you've nailed it, you slowly realize that the generation has changed. Oh, and yes. what used to work doesn't work anymore. And you're also a million years old. Andrew yes, 30. it's so true. And you're not connected at all. I was speaking with a student yesterday and I was asking him about, oh, what were you just doing for fun? And he's like, oh, I was playing this video game and this video game and this video game. And I was like, well, that sounds nice. And he said to me, he goes, do you know what I'm talking about? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
at all. I <laughs> understood the word game. Yeah. Game. Is that like a hoop and a yeah. stick? And you, yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Heard of oh games. my God. I think I was prepared in my credential program for the process of teaching and instruction and how to structure lessons and student engagement. It's like a lot of things where you just have to go in there and get that experience and apply the knowledge. And it takes a little while in the beginning, the first couple of years when you're applying the knowledge to realize, oh, this works. Or did you ever have that thing, Angie, where maybe it worked with your first period class? But then second period comes and you're like, I don't know any what I'm doing at all because nothing's working. Yep. <laughs> or you have that one oddly quiet class and you're like, I'm so much funnier in first period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you feel yeah. really bad about yourself. Why did these jokes land then? Yeah, I killed <laughs> in first period. And then for both of us, I think the funny thing is that teachers were teachers for years. For Wait, a yeah, long how long? Time. How long were you a teacher? I was a teacher for, let's see. 15, 16 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, right now I still have the street cred where I can say I was a teacher a lot longer than I was an administrator, but now this is my <laughs> sixth year as an administrator. So 10 more years. That's right. You can still milk it for 10 years, I think. It's totally. fine. Michelle, how long were you a teacher? 14 years. Yeah. It's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And I think that we've both kind of casually mentioned this in prior conversations that I did not want to be an administrator. Nope. It looked like a terrible job. Awful. It's like you work so hard. The hours are long. You get angry parents. You're responsible for all the mistakes. I never did. Definitely the hours look so intimidating because as a teacher, you center your world around your teaching hours and you fit in all the other stuff when you can. That's right. So we're at school for certain hours and we bring home whatever we bring home or we stay late the days we stay late. And we have, you know, events when we have events, but we have the free freedom of leaving at 334. That's right. You can leave, you can get in your car and when go. When it's daylight. Yes, <laughs> at, during the day. It's great. Yeah. And you can do things like laundry and go to the grocery. Yeah. I thought I just couldn't take the hours of being an administrator, of being on call yes. all the time and having those 16-hour days all the time. I agree with you. I was actually scared of that part. And even last year when I became an administrator, I remember after I had gotten hired, trying to mentally prepare myself and say, okay, Michelle, this is going to be very different than your teaching life. You know, in terms of hours, you're going to need to be in this mindset that you're going to have to stay a lot longer. You're going to have to work at night. You Mm -hmm. might even have to work on weekends. You might have to be on call. And so I had to do that in the beginning. And then, of course, you know, then pandemic happened and you never know what's coming. (laughs) It's great. And I'm attached to my phone in a very unhealthy way, which I acknowledge. But it is what it is. It is what it is. And I think that there are some things where I recognize that in some ways, teaching, it takes up a really different mental and emotional part of your life. And you're always thinking about it. And that feeling of Sunday night, am I prepared? Am I ready? Like, yeah, you know, a lot of those things are off my plate now, but it's definitely you're willingly taking on more responsibility when you become an administrator. So I'm interested, Michelle, we both thought this looked like such a terrible job. Why on <laughs> earth did you go to the dark side? And oh become my an gosh. Administrator? For a couple of reasons. The biggest one was I knew for sure that I couldn't become an administrator until after she was older and settled. So that was my first thing. And she graduated from high school, went off to college, and she went away for college. For the first time in years, I only had to worry about myself. And the freedom that came with that was amazing. So I spent like the first couple years of when she was in college just living my best life, Andrea. I traveled a lot, pursued any and all interests I've had. And then after that, though, I started getting a little antsy, right? I started looking around like, 
hmm, I feel like I should be doing more. And I think the biggest thing for me was just, I felt I wasn't being mentally stimulated enough and I was going to work, but I wasn't enjoying it in the same way that I normally did. And that was the first red flag. Or maybe I should look at other options. What about you though? You know, it kind of snuck up on me what we were talking about with teaching. My last year of teaching, I was asked to do a new program here. It's not a new program in the world. It's AVID. And it's a well-known program across the country. And I was the first AVID teacher in our district. And, you know, I had this ninth grade class and it was work I've never done before. It was a lot of organizing, organizing field trips, collecting money, planning fundraisers, washing cars on the weekend. (laughs) And all those things you talked about, the hours, the nighttime meetings, the recruitment, all of that extra night, weekend, organizing, planning stuff, running a program. I thought to myself, I never thought I could do this. I'm not terrible at it. I feel like I'm putting in all this time to this program and maybe I could do this on a larger scale. So soon after that, I left the classroom for good, as it turns out, and I became the activities director here. How was that for you? It was really, really educational. Yeah. I learned so much. I learned about different types of leadership. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I organized bigger events than I ever thought I could. I became part of an administrative team. It was some of the work was so fulfilling to me because as an activities director, you can help almost everybody who walks in the door. I know I'm too late. Can I still sign up? Okay. <laughs> I, I can't. This is my Which, senior year. I can't afford the prom. Is there anything you can do to help me? Yeah. Yes. Which goes back to your helping, your helping gene, your little helper gene. It, you were fulfilling all of your greatest I didn't even recognize needs. It. I didn't recognize it. But there were other parts that I didn't find fulfilling. Things that I was organizing, I know how important they are for high school students. I know how important they are for a school community and a climate, but I felt too distant from the curricular planning and curricular leadership. Okay. I just felt too distant from the classroom and I wanted to have an impact in a leadership role. So then I became an assistant principal at a middle school. You wanted to help on a even broader scale after you got the first taste of AVID, the first taste of activities. And then you said, where else can I go from here? It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How about you? I had some friends, they were getting their administrative credential. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll do it with you. I'm all about options. And so that was my first step. And it's so funny because the rest of them became administrators very quickly after. And I got my administrative credential maybe six years ago now. I just waited and waited. And it wasn't until I started speaking to my principal and she encouraged me to join the committees and she helped open some doors for me. I was able to shadow her. I think that's really smart and really good advice. And I love it when you have leaders who encourage you to get out of your shell and when they can recognize something in you that you have this potential to be really great. It's hard to see that in yourself when you're in one really prescribed role. That's right. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, she really helped with my self-confidence. Oh, nice. That was a big that was a big thing, you know, as I've talked about only doing special ed. Yeah. And now I have to, you know, interact with general ed students who I'd never had to before because I was in a self-contained class. That's how it started for me. And also, I think my daughter graduated from college. She got her first job. And I think mentally and emotionally, I was ready to dive in head first into something else, right? Like motherhood and being a single mom and doing all that stuff had always 
taken priority as it should have, knowing that she was settled, knowing that she was healthy and productive and happy, I could really devote 100% to something new. That's when I started applying. I never really connected that. Your daughter started this really exciting journey, like out in the real world, totally like beyond school and like straight from high school, like straight to college, graduated on time, got a great job right after. And it's everything I would think you would hope for your child. Oh my gosh. I cannot say enough how proud I am of her and how lucky I am too. I had lots of support. She's a good girl. She's so great. You know, Michelle, it just makes me think after hearing your story and reflecting on mine that, you know, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your vision for your future is, it's so important to be open to possibilities, be open ideas and listen to your heart when you know something is like your dream job. I know this sounds crazy, but as long as I've worked in education, I have never once felt like, oh, I don't want to go to work today. Yes. I've had days that are hard. I've had days that I'm eager to get through, but it's always at the very worst. It's a challenge I want to face. And most days are, I'm just excited to come here. I absolutely 100% agree with you. I've been so excited to be in education. And when I did still start feeling a little bit unmade, motivated, or a little bit bored at what I was doing, that's when I looked around for something else. Because I think the least we can do for ourselves as people and in our perpetual profession is find the things that make us excited to wake up in the morning. And you know, Angie, when we said that our path was convoluted. It (laughs) sure is. It it, sure is. It's definitely convoluted. So I hope this just gives you a glimpse, a small understanding of where we've come from to get to education. And now we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle, For everyone out there, if you liked this episode, don't forget to rate us in Apple Podcasts as it will help others find our show. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. So you can email us at inthepriciplesofficepod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at inthepriciplesofficepod. And you can also find us on Twitter at principlespod. We'll see you next time in the principal's office. (laughs) 